Hello, everyone, and welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Justin Scase, Senior Editor of the EHS Daily Advisor and Safety Decisions Magazine. More and more states are legalizing traditionally illegal substances such as marijuana, and legal substances such as alcohol or prescription medication still have a high potential for abuse. It's a special concern for environment, health, and safety professionals, as on-the-job use or abuse of any drug can potentially have devastating, even life-threatening consequences. However, safety managers may experience a little bit of pushback for challenging the use of now-legal substances, and drug testing policies need to be crafted with great care. In fact, the very similar terms of impairment and under the influence have slight differences that must be taken into account. Safety professionals may feel a little bit lost in this uh, stoned age, please forgive the pun, but our guest today has expert insight into how you can effectively maintain a drug-free, safe, healthy, and productive workplace. Joining us for today's episode of EHS on Tap is Nina M. French, Managing Partner for The Current Consulting Group. Nina has over 26 years of experience in employee screening and managing drug-free workplace operations in a wide variety of fields. She is widely published and speaks at over 40 events each year, and she'll be hosting a free EHS Daily Advisor webcast, Impairment or Under the Influence, Legal Drug Use in the Workplace, taking place Thursday, April 25th, 2019 at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. So, Nina, thank you so much for joining us today on EHS on Tap. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Now, we've had you as a guest on EHS on Tap before, and when we talked, uh, when we last talked a little over a year ago, we were discussing drug testing in the context of marijuana legalization and the opioid epidemic. However, it seems like so much has changed since then, especially when it comes to legalization of recreational marijuana in various states. So what are some of the most consequential developments for 2019, and what does it mean for safety professionals? Well, you know, the the momentum for legalization of marijuana has not slowed down since we last talked. And the opioid epidemic, although we've seen improvements in some ways, Um, For the first time this year, it was reported that you are more likely to die of a drug overdose in the United States than a car accident, statistically. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, there have been changes, and and although, again, some for the good, not all for the good. What we do know is that right now, there are 34 states plus D.C., that have medical marijuana, and that we have 10 states who have approved recreational marijuana and Mm -hmm. that with those different types of approvals every law is different in each state and and Mm -hmm. that holds true for both the medical and the recreational marijuana and so as we've seen like michigan approve since we talked last uh you know they are very specific in their recreational marijuana laws Mm -hmm. Uh, it it allows individuals who are 21 and older to purchase, possess, and use marijuana and marijuana-infused edibles and then, you know, grow up to 12 marijuana plants for personal consumption. And then it goes through a lot of detail about what exactly that means. And 
And the same, just as an example, with their medical marijuana law and mm. specifically how they address that in workplace. So their medical marijuana law, you know, a qualifying patient may not be denied any right or privilege or be subject to any prosecution or penalty for the medical use of marijuana. But you can see even without a law degree or a lot of insight into the industry, how as an HR professional, as a safety professional, that gets awfully complicated very quickly because you don't know if the person is using marijuana for medicinal purposes or if the marijuana in their system was used for recreational purposes. And really, what does that mean for you as an HR professional in terms of their ability to perform their job function? So right. a lot's changed. We've seen a lot more states add and we've seen a lot of states consider um, the change. We, we just last week saw uh, New Jersey actually fall apart in terms of legalizing recreational marijuana. But what will happen and what we've seen now in the history of legalization is the proposed legislation will be modified. They'll change it and then we will likely see it approved at some point in the near future. Okay. So depending on the state or the individual situation and what you're saying here, it sounds like there's a lot of different situations that could come up. Uh, people may question why an employer should be able to challenge an employee's use of a, you know, quote unquote, legal substance. But clearly there can be safety issues surrounding drug consumption. So can you recommend any sort of rule of thumb for employers looking to draw a line between use, misuse, and abuse of a drug? I, I can. Um, there's some general rules of thumb and best practices. What's interesting about the question is that this question actually has co been complicated by marijuana. And because marijuana is really the only drug that we have that is recreationally available and mm -hmm. available through prescription, that's complicating it. But the concept of under the influence, use, abuse, misuse in workplace has actually always been sort of a, a gray area. And mm. I say that because, you know, if, if you look at workplace drug testing, um, like a pregnancy test, a home pregnancy test, and I think everybody's sort of familiar with how they work. When, mm -hmm. when you take a home pregnancy test, it simply tells you yes or no, right? Po yes, yes, you're pregnant or not. It right. doesn't indicate by that line if you're just finding out for the first time that you're newly pregnant mm -hmm. or, you know, that by the time someone's reading that line, you've given birth. Okay. Right? It's just is. And workplace right. drug testing is the same. Hmm. When you get a positive for a drug other than alcohol, Mm -hmm. It is just telling you the presence of that drug in the person's system. Right. Not whether they're using it as prescribed, whether mm -hmm. they are addicted to it and misusing it, um, mm -hmm. or if, um, you know, there's, there's an issue with it. it and, and every drug varies. Um, every drug has a different life in the person's body. Alcohol, mm -hmm. again, has some exceptions, but even with, with that, when you're talking about use and abuse, there's, there's gray area. And so it's really important as employers look at 
drug testing, substance use policies, and safety now, they understand those different concepts and then they really sort of refine their programs and their strategies for safety around that understanding. So, mm. you know, in terms of best practice rules of thumb, there's, you know, the understanding of marijuana because that's mm -hmm. going to be the really complicated one. It's a schedule one drug. So that mm -hmm. means with the exception of very few products that have FDA approval, you're not going to see, you know, FDA approval. It's still federally illegal. But with the passing of these new legalizations by state, it isn't like we could say 10 years ago where we said, hey, it's a schedule one drug. We just follow those rules and you cannot have it in our workplace. You have to have more detailed understanding of the drug, the implications, and put that in your policies. Um, the second thing I would say is, you know, that everyone needs to understand there's no universal way to prove impairment. And you really have mm. to understand that because that feeds into sort of the language that you use and the program that you design. Um, okay. And again, and, and again, that follows into the whole idea of you've got to understand and know use and abuse. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that a little bit more. But, you know, rules of thumb is understand these kind of deeper issues, know the laws by state and really stay act active in what's happening in the states where you do business. Mm. Um, if it is your role, you know, advocate for employer rights. And we're seeing where that's very important for um, some of the the employers in Oklahoma, for instance, where there have been new laws passed and they're really trying to put in protections for employer rights to test and protection for employer rights to have a safe workplace. And right. then I'd say in every program with no exception, there needs to be training across the board, training for supervisors, training for employees. I can't you know, emphasize enough how critical that is. And then again, like really looking at each of the reasons for tests, why you're testing, who you're testing, and the methodologies you're using. And you really have to do your homework and, and get a study of why these are all important and then redesign your programs based on that new understanding because it's different than ever before. Absolutely. So one of the things uh, that, that your webcast is going to address, like Im impairment and under the influence, they sound, they sound kind of like the same thing to me, uh, but I understand that they're different. C can you explain the difference a little bit? Yes. Yeah. And, and it does. You're right. Even when I say it out loud, I almost have to check myself after all these years in the business. I have to say, all right, wait, why, why are they different? Right. Impairment. So being under the influence means mm -hmm. that you've consumed alcohol or drugs, but you're not necessarily able to function normally. Mm -hmm. So if you have a glass of wine with dinner, you may be able to safely drive home with a blood or breath alcohol level under the 0.08. Right. However, if you drank a whole bottle of wine with your dinner, mm -hmm. it's a much stronger possibility that you, you would be impaired. So it, the impairment is that you're not able to function at your normal capacity okay. because you consumed a drug or alcohol, as mm. opposed to, you know, under the influence where even with that single glass, you are under the influence to some degree, but you mm. may not be impaired or showing signs of impairment. Okay. And I think, 
you know, one of the the distinctions that again, sort of using that 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 sort of pregnancy test example, because I think it makes it easier for people to understand. Right. You know, there are people who could have a breath or blood alcohol concentration at or above that 0.08 that we know is legal in all the states, although one actually is at lower now. Mm-hmm. Yet they can do all of those roadside type tests. Okay. And that's why there really is, you know, the ability to see and document signs of physical impairment or the inability to function normally, as well as the testing that helps support it. Mm. But they really need to go hand in hand. Right. Absolutely. So how can safety professionals uh, help their companies craft a, a drug-free policy or a drug testing policy that can stand up in this sort of uh, legal environment? Well, so for, for HR professionals, it's a little bit harder. The good news is for safety professionals, mm-hmm. they have a slight advantage. Now, of course, the, the advantage comes with complications, but there is the advantage that you can define jobs as safety sensitive. Mm. And that definition allows employers to treat that category of employee slightly differently. Okay. So for instance, if you're a safety professional and you're looking to craft a drug-free workplace policy, you can consider a drug disclosure policy. Mm. Um, Again, back to the idea of we don't know if the person's using the drug legally as prescribed. You know, there are things that you can do within your testing program to identify that if mm-hmm. someone, for instance, doesn't have a prescription. But even if I had a prescription for a legally prescribed drug and I was taking it as prescribed by my physician, in a safety sensitive position, I still may not be able to be doing my job. Right? right. I still may put myself or the workplace or other employees at risk because I'm taking that drug. Mm. And so a drug disclosure policy for your safety sensitive employees allows you as a safety director to say, look, at, as part of the requirement of your job, you must work with your prescribing physician mm-hmm. to let that person know what your job functions are. So if I were in that position and I, you know, I'm in a safety sensitive role, I could say to my prescribing physician, Hey, you're going to give me five milligrams of oxycodone every four hours for, you know, my, my recent surgical pain. Mm -hmm. This is my job description. Am I able to do this job safely while I'm taking that? Mm. If the answer is yes, then you just, you know, as an employee, you have them state that they're taking it, but it's okay and you're good. If you don't, if the, if the prescribing physician says no, you know, you cannot operate that machinery or you know, perform those j- primary job functions, then you with your primary f- care physician are really having a conversation about, well, is there anything else I could take that would work? Mm. And if the answer is no, 
then the drug disclosure policy that's in place with the employer really sets up a process by which the employee comes in to the employer, explains the situation, and then they, they really go into that HR then that that HR function of saying, all right, you know, can I make an accommodation? Mm -hmm. Can the person go on leave? Is there something that we can do, put them in a different role during the time that they're taking that drug? So drug disclosure policies are sort of the next level for safety professionals, but very, very important, I think, for addressing both prescription drug use and abuse, mm -hmm. and then, you know, illicit substances as well. Um, on top of that, it's really the same things that we talked about earlier in terms of rule of thumb, you know, mm. training, the definitions of safety sensitive, listing very clearly what the prohibited behaviors are, and then really discussing with those employees, both in policy and in training, use before duty, during duty, and then, you know, returning to duty. So I think that's important too, you know, how long before I get on my job or come to work, is it okay for me to drink alcohol. Right. So th the buzzworthy topic right now, you know, of course, is marijuana legalization, but alcohol is still the most abused drug. Plus, we've still got the opioid epidemic to consider. And, uh, you know, some of the other things that we're talking about now, you know, some drugs like alcohol, it's easier to, you know, level of blood alcohol, you know, can, you know, uh, separate impairment from under the influence, whereas other things are just sort of a positive negative. So is a is a catch-all drug and alcohol policy really appropriate, or does each issue need to be addressed separately? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Each issue really has to be addressed separately. And, mm. and, you know, we do policy work, so sometimes I feel like it's almost self-serving. But <laughs> you know, I, I I say to myself, you know, what's your willingness to download a will off of the internet? Well, when you're 20 years <laughs> old and you, your only asset might be a beat-up car in the driveway of your rental property, yeah, eh, yeah, you might be all right with downloading a, a something off of the internet and hoping that that one-size-fits-all will works for. Your, you know, your, your sort of meager possessions. Sure. Uh, so, so I can't say unequivocally that some blanket statement or catch-all wouldn't work, mm -hmm. but you know, even the best policies by the largest companies with the most to lose mm -hmm. in today's world are not bulletproof. Mm. Anyone can start action against an employer over their drug testing policy. Hmm. And so even if you win, even if it's baseless to a large degree, you're still investing in getting that claim denied and, and, and termed baseless. Hmm. So as you can imagine, if there is a basis and in this world with, like we talked about, you know, marijuana being both legal and illegal in many ways. right. There are many more that are not baseless because there are many more that are really defining what legalization, what impairment, um, what workplace, and, and really testing at roadside as well is going to be in the United States. Mm. So the catch-all policy really just opens you up more so than ever before to risk, risk of litigation, risk of... Um, you know, issues and problems within the workplace that are going to cost you money. So, right. uh, 
I, I, I would say universally that unless you feel like you are that 23 year old with the beat up car in the driveway <laughs> and you're comfortable that you really have to look into a better defined policy and you've got to update it. I mean, if, if it is a year old, it is likely out of date in some way at this point. Right, right. Absolutely. Uh, do you do you think that some industries will have a tougher time enforcing these policies than others? You know, for example, there's a there's a clear safety angle for transportation or construction or manufacturing or like warehousing industries like that. But what about industries that have less clear and present dangers when it comes to workplace hazards? You know, say an office environment. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it's it is getting complicated and and. Mm -hmm. Em employers across the board, I think we're going to see a very dynamic shift in the next 10 to 15 years in workplace drug testing, period. Mm -hmm. And part of that is exactly this issue you just pointed out, really, you know, for a safety sensitive transportation, construction, manufacturing, warehousing, all of those guys, it's a little bit easier because like we said, you know, you can define the job as safety sensitive right. and then you can work on having different standards. Keep in mind though, that there's a bill right now that is looking to change the definition of safety sensitive because right now really? it's actually pretty narrowly defined. Mm. Um, right now, you have to be in full compliance with the American with Disability Act, as well as the guidance from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or the EEOC. Mm -hmm. So safety sensitive positions are not only, you know, the, the ones we talked about, the simple ones that come to mind, but it really is others where there's failure to perform can cause harm. Mm. The challenge, like you said, is with employers right now, some of the very front page scandals that cost a brand millions and millions of dollars are not, you know, those traditional safety sensitive positions, right. but they're the ones where cybersecurity has been put at risk or mm. there's been financial breaches from someone. Right. Um, and if you don't, test those someones, mm -hmm. then you've got these, the, the, the higher risk of negligent hiring claims that can be extraordinarily expensive. Mm. On average, those are a million dollars and up. And, and so, um, you know, that definition of safety sensitive and the broadening of that definition of safety sensitive is going to be very important to employers overall, because it will be difficult in the states where recreational marijuana use is available mm -hmm. to you know, adults, depending on what the rules are, right? Mm -hmm. It's gonna be very difficult to say, well, why did you test me? I'm a, uh, you know, an accounting clerk and you tested me and I tested positive in a pre-employment drug test, but marijuana can last in the system depending on the drug test methodology that you're using for several weeks. Right. And so again, I think this is this education crafting and, and redefining the workplace policy. You've got to understand all these complexities. And again, it's easy for me because this is what I do. I don't have another job. I'm not a safety right. manager. I don't I'm not in charge. But mm. you know, the complexity of the different testing methodologies and the reasons for test. So you would never um, for instance, use hair testing in a post-accident situation because it just simply doesn't metabolize into the hair in time to be any relation to that 
right. event. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in a legal state now where mm-hmm. recreational marijuana is available in a pre-employment setting, is that something you still want to do? Hair testing. I'm not saying good or bad because it does give you a great indication of lifestyle. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Different thing. It's lifestyle where if you're looking at um, urine testing, you know, you get it a few hours after use to a few weeks after use. Mm. Mm-hmm. When you look at oral fluid testing, you get a few, like about an hour after use to about 18 to 24 hours after use. So you've got a tighter window. Mm. So in all of those different cases, based on why you're testing and who you're testing, you might want to look at those different testing methodologies and say, all right, well, you know, for access to our work site. And I think that's going to be a big thing in the next 10 years. Mm. Work access versus pre-employment. You know, we don't care what you do at home on your free time. However, we do not want you doing that and being, quote unquote, under the influence when you're on the job. Mm. And so, again, keep in mind that there is no technology and no universal definition of impairment for marijuana right now. Mm. And that will likely be the biggest area in safety, roadside, and workplace testing until there is a way to really say, just like we did with alcohol, you know, 0.08 now is the legal limit, the per se legal limit mm-hmm. in these states. That's changed dramatically over the past 20 or 30 years. You know, it used to be way higher. Now it's dipping lower and lower and lower. We don't have that for marijuana yet. Right. The legalization came before the testing technology, mm-hmm. which means, again, that legal gray ground is going to be an issue for all of us. Absolutely. Now, this uh, this bill that you were talking about that might uh, address the definition of safety sensitive, now this is a federal bill, right? Correct. Okay. Interesting. Correct. So, right, again, it, and, and that, again, is something that I think it's very important for employers to stay involved with, stay on top of, and look at. Because if I were in that position, I'm a small employer, um, and but if I'm in a position where my brand is represented by whoever it is, right, the, the cashier, right, um, it's not safety in the traditional sense that the, this audience likely thinks about safety. But there's a different level of it. And so I think in the U.S., as we look at workplace drug testing and safety, we have to broaden that idea of safety and um, challenge it Mm. as employers Mm -hmm. so that you don't find yourself on the other side saying, well, we didn't challenge it. And and now we, you know, we're splashed over the front page of every newspaper because we had this issue. And, and, you know, the, the person we hired was all over their social media posts smoking a joint or saying how much they love their edibles. Uh-huh. We brought them in, we didn't test them or we allowed them on the job. And then, you know, are you going to get that customer or that other employee come in and say, yeah, you, you knew it. Mm. You didn't do diligence. You didn't do what you should have done to maintain safety in your workplace. And that was negligent. And now I'm going to come after you for much higher liability because of that. Right. So aside from crafting, you know, these strong defensible policies and probably most importantly sticking to these policies, uh, 
what else can safety professionals do to keep their employees safe and their businesses productive amid the current trends of drug use and abuse? Again, I, I think training is probably knowledge and training, knowledge and training, knowledge and training. I mean, knowledge and training. Cool. When you're when you're thinking about training in the workplace, the more people feel like you've opened, you know, the wizard's uh, curtain and, and shown them what the what the logic was, why you're doing it, explaining these complicated issues. We have heard from unions who say, look, we want to solve this because we don't want to penalize our people right. who are using legally on their own time, but we do not want to compromise safety. Mm -hmm. And people who are not using drugs are very concerned. It isn't, you know, in these traditional workplaces with safety sensitive roles, it isn't, am I going to, you know, be 15 minutes behind production necessarily? It's, am I going to lose an arm, a leg, an eye, right. a limb, my life? Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of concern. And so, Letting the employees and the supervisors understand what you're doing and why you're doing it is really key. Training on the signs and symptoms of drug use is also critical for a couple reasons. It just physically, there are more eyes, right? There are more people who are willing to say, hey, look, as an employee, I'm not a supervisor. Mm -hmm. I'm just another employee. But I, I learned the signs and symptoms. I've watched this person who's on the line next to me or who's driving the car I'm in. And I'm concerned that they're exhibiting signs and symptoms of drug use. And they have an avenue then to work with the safety managers, to work with HR and say, hey, look at I got, I know that you have a form. I'm going to fill out this form and I'll tell you why I'm saying a form, right? But I'm mm -hmm. going to fill out this form. I'm concerned for my own safety and for this workplace safety. Mm -hmm. It just puts more eyes on the street, more trained people. And it gives you, um, you know, that human camera into the workplace every day. And so it's a small investment in that. That's really very valuable. Mm -hmm. The second piece I said was that form and if you look at some of the cases that are lost in these issues when when challenged, it's about that. It is documentation, mm. right? It is, are we documenting? Are we not accusing? In some of the medical marijuana cases that we've seen recently, the issue isn't what the policy was. It was what somebody said, mm. you know? They misinterpreted, oh no, it's okay. If you're a medical marijuana user, it's okay. We'll still hire you. Well, no, 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 no. I was not correct. Mm. Actually, we won't. And so it's sort of that misrepresentation of the policy that gets uh, that's concerning, um, because you you know in many states we see that you cannot discriminate against someone because they are a medical marijuana card holder. Mm. And so if you say that, right, if, if if your people don't understand that and say, hey, we, we won't hire you if you have a medical marijuana card, that alone just caused you a problem. So training is really important. More knowledge, the better. The understanding of documentation, because just like we said about that roadside idea of what you, you know, your 0.08 or you know, if you blow a 0.02, mm -hmm. but you're showing all of these signs of impairment, when you see, observe, and document those, that can actually be as strong, if not stronger, than the results of the drug test. Mm. So then the two combine, 
often are a very significant and impactful way to put your policies in place because you're saying, hey, look, we're not terminating the employment or taking a negative employment action just based solely on the, you know, the, the drug test. Mm-hmm. We also saw that the person was slurring their words and sort of the documented behaviors that cause con- um, concern in the first place. Really important to think about that and to train people on that. And then the other thing is that I think is is lost a bit and needs a resurgence in the country is the reality of that number we talked about in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to die of an overdose than in a car accident. And so the reality of addiction is here. Right. There are trained and extraordinarily valuable employees who have had an issue and gone through recovery. Mm-hmm. And although it seems scary, when you look at the statistics of employer-sponsored follow-up testing programs mm-hmm. um, and bringing those employees back into the workplace um, after they've undergone treatment and maybe doing you know follow-up testing programs that were designed by a substance abuse professional, mm-hmm. that's key too. You get back a great valuable resource into your workplace who you've already invested in the training of, who may have great tenure and a, and a fantastic amount of institutional knowledge. You're, you're, you're really kind of doing a twofold good. You're doing good to your um, your organization by bringing this talent back in and holding on to that talent you're also doing good on behalf of that employee by giving them that second chance having the person be able to come back to employment you know get themselves back straight and again those if you look at the statistics those supported programs through employers are often way way higher um rates of staying clean and sober so really sort of good on all fronts but you need to work with a good occupational medical um, substance abuse professional employee assistance team not just one that sort of is 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 there for wellness but doesn't really focus on this but that idea of the 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 coming back the counseling the eap um, and a return to duty i think is very significant for the greater good of all and the safety in the workplace okay Actually, building off of that, I was just wondering, you know, what what sort of responsibility do safety professionals bear for uh, educating their workforce about the dangers of drug abuse? Like, we just talked about the importance of, um, you know, training and knowledge, but, I mean, you're probably going to have some employees there who, you know, are thinking, hey, I, I'm not in high school health class, you know, right now, you know? So, like, how can safety ma- managers get the message out uh, effectively to employees and just make sure that it's taken to heart, you know, as you mentioned, not just for the good of the business, but for the good of the employees. Right. I I think, uh, you know, I think straight talk in many ways is is the basis of of this response. Mm. Again, opening that curtain that, you, you know, development of a your program in your workplace in collaboration with your safety professionals with your HR department with your finance people with your employees your supervisors your unions is key because Mm. then there's buy-in at the beginning right and I think that's really important and then educating them in that foundation with then, you know, the technical training, like you say, you're not in health class, right? You're not in health class. Right. But 
here's why we're doing it, here's how we're doing it. When I have this conversation, you know, not, not on on a uh, online podcast, not in one of the trainings that I do, but at, you know, my 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 girls' schools or mm-hmm. at a party with friends and I talk them through this sort of same idea, it is a very different conversation and it is almost impossible for anyone not to say all right, I get it. Like, I get it. It mm. makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me for my safety, for my company's safety, for our overall profitability. It makes sense to me. And so that is where I think beyond the requirements of a state law or beyond the requirements of the Department of Transportation, mm-hmm. that's where yeah. educating their workforce is really important and i think when you take it from that foundational piece of why you're doing it explain the entire sort of balloon that we're talking about and and you can talk about it for hours and hours and hours but Mm -hmm. really having that kind of discussion around it and then using that as the the starting point of education in your workplace i i think that is the you know the way you're going to get the best buy-in um, and where as a safety professional, if challenged, mm-hmm. you are going to say, look, at we not only followed all of the rules that we were required to do, we went above and beyond the requirements and educated our supervisors, educated ourselves and educated our employees on the dangers of drug use in the workplace. And it would be difficult then you know, for anyone to come in and say, no, you were negligent, you weren't taking it seriously, you didn't notice or recognize an issue in your workplace. Mm. I think it's important and it's good for everybody. Um, and again, I, th- I think it's difficult for anyone to really challenge that logically um, and, and really win the argument if an employer goes at it with that um, sort of inclusive mindset mm. when they're relooking at their safety program and, and drugs and drug use. Absolutely. That's excellent. Excellent advice. Uh, A lot of things for EHS professionals to think about while they try to keep their workplaces safe and healthy in today's environment. So thank you again, Nina, for taking the time to talk with us today on EHS on Tap. Thank you. And to our listeners, if you'd like to learn more from Nina about the issues that we discussed in today's episode, join her for her upcoming free webcast sponsored by Orisher, Impairment or Under the Influence, Legal Drug Use in the Workplace, taking place Thursday, April 25th, 2019 at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Details on how to register appear on this episode's EHS Daily Advisor webpage. And as always, be sure to keep an eye out for new episodes of EHS on Tap and keep reading the EHS Daily Advisor to stay on top of your safety and environmental compliance obligations, get the latest and best practices, and keep your finger on the pulse of all things related to the EHS industry. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Justin Scase for EHS on Tap.